Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey, and welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. It is now the end of September, or just about the last week of September 2022. And uh, it definitely feels like winter is quickly approaching for all of us here in Canada. I think last night it was one degree Celsius with frost warnings. Warnings, that's like 34 degrees Fahrenheit for all the Americans out there. Uh, pretty chilly, but it is what it is, and we carry on. I, uh, I'm, uh, just, I've been working the last three weeks, uh, back to teaching, and now I'm going on parental leave until January, so, until the end of the Christmas holidays, and my wife is going back to work, so I'm pretty excited to have that, uh, this opportunity to be with the baby and to develop that bond, Obviously, bundle up, get her in the chariot, and get out riding. That's my my big goal here in the fall, is to get her on the bike a bit more into the Gatineau Park, uh, do some hill climbs, uh, extra added weight, good training stuff. And um, yeah, what else has been going on? I've actually signed up and um, paid for a, well, a quote-unquote proper bike training plan to, to work on over the next three months, thinking... Um, I need to figure out a way to to manage my um, my fitness while parenting because it, it really threw me for a loop this year and I didn't get nearly as much uh, kilometers in as I would have liked and um, a lot of it probably wasn't that effective training so I think uh, I'm gonna try that three month plan that's just uh, it's custom made for me based on my needs. But also a little bit cheaper than going uh, with the private coach uh, aspect, which can get kind of expensive, especially since my wife and I are still on parental leave. Like now I'm on leave, so it's, it's just less money. Um, moving forward into January, I'll, uh, I'll decide then how I want to uh, take things moving forward and uh, see if uh, getting a coach will be more effective or if this is working well, maybe I'll continue with that. So yeah, that's that's what's happening here. Uh, cool little story. A, uh, I got a message yesterday on warm showers. Oh, actually, it was to my cell phone because I have my phone number on warm showers. And the person texted me and said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm I'm coming to Ottawa to Chelsea to do some bike packing for a few days. And would I be able to park my car in your driveway just so I have a, a nice safe place to park it?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, like, no problem. Just uh." 
let me let my wife know what time do you expect to come, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then he replied and he says, hey, I'm going to be riding the Canadian Shield 400. Do you know anything about it? And I kind of chuckled to myself and I wrote him back and I said, yeah, yeah, I know it quite well since, uh, since I'm the guy that made it. Uh, and if you have any questions throughout, just, just shoot me a message. So that was kind of funny. I thought that was uh, <laughs> ironic. But anyways, yeah, so there's somebody's vehicle parked in our driveway right now and he's out there um, rocking my route, which is cool. Um, yeah, also last weekend I took part in the eight hours of Hurton and Halliburton uh, gravel event. Super fun. I think I'm hoping next year to do a few more gravel events. It was really, really fun and it kind of brings me back to my days in Malaysia, bike racing and doing uh you know i didn't do any major races but like grand fondo type stuff and it was really really just a good feeling you know just the perfect level of social competitive everything um yeah and i'm pretty happy with my my overall uh performance considering my lack of training and i look forward to trying to get out there again next year so that is that, and I'm going to be actually having Mark, uh, the creator of the route uh, and the event, on the podcast in the short term, and we'll be talking about it and you know, kind of integrating his aspects and my my first experience at it into one episode. So hopefully, people enjoy that. What's next? Um, something I haven't really promoted much in the last while, and that is. Um, like tour adventures and merchandise. So if you do like the podcast and stuff, um, you know, I do sell hats and t-shirts and zip ups and stuff, uh, over the website, Instagram, Facebook, all those media platforms. Uh, there've been a, not a ton of purchases, which is the way it goes. Um, but if you do like the tour, the podcast, the tour, the podcast, uh, feel free to go there and order a piece of swag and uh, promote, and um, I, I keep meaning to get the stickers and patches up on there too, so I will, and then um, could get you guys sent out some stickers and patches. What's next? Uh, Patreon. I want to thank the newest Patreon supporters for the podcast, so there's two of them, Rachel Roberts and Sky Tatero Crosby, and I actually believe I met Sky, I'm pretty sure it's the same guy, it, it, there can't be too many Skies, <clears throat> excuse me, there can't be too many Skies. Um I met him at the BT seven hundred Grand Depart this year, uh, and he was uh, he was out rocking the route as well. And um, so, yeah, I, I do believe I know who that is. And uh, thank you, Sky and Rachel, for supporting the podcast. Now, if you do like the podcast, obviously, quick little blurb, self promotion, um, support goes a long way, guys. It really does. I've nearly paid off this Rodecaster that I'm using now to. To record, I mean, I knew it would take till the end of the year, so it's still going to be pretty close. Probably by the end of November, it'll be officially paid off. And then I'll be in saving mode to pay off all the annual fees that come up around February and March. Um, Yeah, so if you do like the podcast, please, please, please do help out. Um, There's lots of options from a dollar a month to, I think I even have a $10 tier. with one awesome dude, Dave Whale, who supports me through that, and and I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and you can do that through patreon.com slash bike tour adventures as well. You can just PayPal um, if you want to just shoot a little injection of funds my way. It would be much appreciated as well just by searching PayPal and bike tour adventures. 
Um, last thing, Canadian, the bike pack adventure stuff, Canadian Shield bike packing route. I've, uh, as I mentioned, somebody's out on it right now. But I've been working on improving the route since I, I came back a few weeks ago um, after riding most of the 1,000. And there was just a few little sections I, I had to adjust that, you know, routes that had been closed off with private property signs or sections of the route, not routes, but, um, or going through a big, huge uh, grow up. So I've re, re, what's the word I'm looking for? Rerouted that. Um, I do have to get up there and check it out. So instead of going over that fence through the pot plantation, I've kind of stuck it up the hydro cut just a little bit to where there's another trail. But anyways, I long story short, I need to get up there. Um, hopefully one of these weekends before it gets ridiculously cold, uh, if there's a nice day. And uh, just go check it out. But it means like six hours of driving or five hours of, oh, five hours of driving just to go. But that is the life. That is That is what happens when you design routes, you know. You just end up sometimes having to go really far out of your way just to, to ride a little section and make sure things are good. So hopefully hopefully that works and I don't have to think about another reroute. I might actually make a couple other options and uh, go and hit them all at once and see which one's best. That way that would make much more sense. Um, yeah. So those only affected the CS, the Canadian Shield 1000 and the 1300. So for uh, the guy who's out right now on the 400, no big, no big changes there. So he's good to go. I would also love if more people got out there, had a ride at it, and gave me feedback. Let me know what your experience was like. Let me know um, what you loved and hated, and if it's something that's hated just for absolute misery reasons, not just, you know, tired and sore legs, maybe I'll, I'll look into to modifying and changing it and making the experience overall as good as possible. Anyways, now on to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast intro. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Banaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bikepacker, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I have the chance to talk with Sheila Daly. Working in the Toronto bike industry, being an avid bike traveler, nutritionist, and YouTube content creator, it was great to sit back and hear her story. Throughout this talk, I learned how Sheila jumped headfirst into touring by cycling from Scotland to Croatia. We also talked about cycling nutrition, not just for traditional bike tourists, but also bike packing and bike pack racing. Finally, we touched on what it's like to work in the cycling industry as a woman, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this talk. Sheila Daly, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Ah, it's a real pleasure. Um, why don't we start off with learning a bit about you? Tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm Sheila. I am a, a bicycle traveler and a nutritionist from Canada. 
and I make videos on YouTube, uh, mostly about bike touring with some nutrition sprinkled in there as well. Mm, cool. And you grew up in, you're in Toronto, right? So mm-hmm. did you grow up in Toronto or? I did, yes. And your name's Sheila. It's, it is spelt a little unusually. Yeah, it's uh, S-H-E-E-L-A-G-H. Uh, it's the Irish spelling. Uh, yeah, I'm sure nobody's ever mistaken that in their life. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. <laughs> and um, have you always been a lifelong cyclist or is this something that came around in the later years or, or more recently, we should say? I would definitely say later years. I was uh, a clumsy cyclist as a kid. Um, I remember when my sister taught me Uh, She was teaching me on the sidewalk, and I was so scared of falling, I would walk the uh, driveways and then bike when there was grass next to me and then walk the next driveway. And then I just, like, (laughs) get on and off, barely made it down the block. Um, But then I got into it more, uh, I got into triathlons when I was probably 18, 19. Um, So that got me building up my experience with cycling. Um, And then I think... Just commuting around Toronto, it's the easiest way to get around, yeah. um, fastest, most enjoyable. Uh, and so I think that built up a lot of my confidence as well. Yeah, I've had the uh, the guys from Brockton Cycler have said that to me several times. They're like, there's, I mean, biking is so much faster than driving through Toronto, even if you're crossing the entire city. They're like, it's believe it or not, like even including highways, most of the time, faster to bike especially if it's anywhere within that rush hour kind of segment right so true yeah you look up like on google maps if you compare the cycling the transit and the driving like cycling almost always wins that's insane (laughs) we know we know toronto's a busy city so yeah and um can i ask you what's your i mean you must see all the stuff about the toronto police services and like um the (sighs) Uh, the, the, the anti-bicycle cyclist mentality that seems to be in Toronto. Like, I'm not sure. Is it just Toronto? I, I don't see it here that much, but maybe yeah. it's something that's growing, um, especially since yeah. COVID and bicycles took over. What has been your, your experience with that? Um, you know, I haven't experienced it as much because, you know, I ha- when I'm going around the city, I'm usually on my like clunky little old rally I could barely go above the, <laughs> the speed limit, but I have a right. lot of friends that are experiencing it a lot in kind of the areas that um, the police are targeting. The high park or something? or Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's disappointing and um, challenging because yeah, it is so many people that are trying to often just a lot of people cut through high park to get to work because it's the safe way to right. not be on the roads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having that focus on ticketing, but there's no focus on ticketing um, at, at, that I've seen on, you know, people that are parking in the bike lanes and forcing mm-hmm. us out on, onto the road. And so that's that's discouraging that yeah. um, there's that focus there, but not on the things that are um, a risk to us as cyclists. It is challenging. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean for this to get political. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I think it's something important to look it, at. It is sure. an interesting one though, because in Ottawa too, we have a lot of bike paths, um, especially along the Ottawa river and stuff that you can go from East to West Ottawa. And I quite often, I have a lot on, on, well, not on a lot on occasions to school and stuff, but to teach, but 
you know, they say the posted kilometers, the speed limit's 20 kilometers an hour. And I don't think that's necessarily fair to cyclists. Like you're, you're making them ride on a really rough, bad condition paved roads. If they want to go at a normal bicycle speed, because I'd say probably most people can go 20 kilometers an hour, you know, it's not, yeah, unless you're yeah. touring, touring bikes, different story, you know, yeah. when you're packed, but, um, I think most people can kind of achieve that speed and, you know, they're going to ride at a, a faster little kip than that. And probably mm. the vast majority of people on their city bikes don't have speedometers. So if you're going to ticket somebody for going over 20 kilometers, but we, I'd say 90% of 95% of people don't have a speedometer on their bike. I mean, you know, yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah, it is discouraging the amount of times that, um, you know, risky stuff does happen on the roads. There's often cars in bike lanes. There's often people turning into bike lanes. Um, and, you know, you're navigating all of that. And then to hear that people are, are getting ticketed for cycling um, in a park is yeah. challenging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, anyways, let's, uh, let's jump back into the actual conversation <laughs> we prepared for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so you grew up biking, jumping off at driveways and stuff. And at what point did you, and then you said triathlon at 19. So I started triathlon at around 31. So nice. um, yeah, so that was a, a little bit later. But I, I think it's it's really grown as a sport. And it's something like I see a lot more in Canada where and it was never something I saw that much of um, until I moved abroad or maybe just the way my, my age works, you know. Um, but yeah, so triathlon, how did you do that? What was your, what was your specialty? What did you like most? My specialty was probably the swim. Okay. Um, I was a synchronized swimmer growing up, mm. so very comfortable in the swim. Um, probably like the least helpful in a triathlon For other sure. than, you know, like in terms of getting you ahead, definitely wonderful to feel confident in the water because mm -hmm. that can be a deterrent for a lot of people. But my bike, incredibly slow, like everyone, I'd come out early in the pack from the swim and just everyone would bike past me. Um, and still to this day, I'm not the fastest rider, but um, I definitely enjoyed the triathlons while I did them. Yeah, I was more of the bike and swim and then run was like my, my Achilles heel, you know, I was, yeah. uh, I, I lived in Malaysia and so you had all these, uh, <laughs> and not being racist, but little Asian guys blow by me running you know and i was like it was like i stopped and i'm like how did they do it <laughs> but um you know they're they're typically smaller than us canadian boys and lighter and they're good runners they're, they're fantastic mm -hmm. runners um so yeah that was that was my experiences in triathlon but it was yeah. fun it was fun nonetheless it was great yeah yeah um, it's a great sport so at what point did you start bike touring uh my first bike tour was in 2019 Mm. Um, I cycled, uh, solo from Scotland to Croatia. Beauty. And yeah, it was, I don't even, I'm, I don't even know how it came about in a way. I kind of got it in my head that I would cycle around Scotland. Okay. Um, I grew up with a lot of Scottish traditions. I have Scottish uh, heritage mm -hmm. and it just seemed like biking would be a affordable way to explore Scotland and then I just remember uh, a friend of mine was saying, oh, I think I want to hitchhike across Europe. And somewhere in my head, I was just like, well, I should just bike across Europe. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then that just kind of cemented itself as my goal. And I thought about it for a couple of years and dreamed about it. And then just when did it one day? Oh, that's wonderful. And how did you get the time off of this? Was this kind of like a period in between jobs or was this like finishing university and saying, oh, I have this time before I could really dive into to quote unquote uh, adulting? Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it was actually, um, I uh, had a job that I didn't think I'd be able to get the time off. So I kind of worked up uh, the courage and the savings. And um, I said that uh, I was going to have to kind of quit and leave and go do this. Um, Because I actually took off eight months to do it. Oh, Um, I went to, I did the tour for three and a half months. And then I kind of lived in Scotland um, for a chunk of time in there and then it took a time after and stuff. So it was going to be a big time away and they actually were super supportive and they're like, no worries, like come back. Um, they actually even paid for my flight there and back. Um, no way. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So Toronto so, people, what job was this? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought it was really encouraging that, I know I was so nervous and like worked up the courage to tell them. And they were like, you know, we really value you. We want you to come back. So, you know, tell us when you're coming back, we'll support you while you're gone. And yeah, so it ended up working up really well. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, yeah, I also have a little bit of Scottish heritage on my grandma's side. So it's, um, somewhere I definitely want to go and ride and tour and experience of it. So I haven't really done much of the United Kingdom and Ireland at all. So um, just been to UK, yeah. London and stuff, like nothing special. I mean, <laughs> quote I, unquote, nothing special, but it's, yeah, I've been to London, no. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think Scotland's one of the best places to tour, especially if anyone's like new to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. Like tons of cycling infrastructure, tons of friendly people. You know, if you're English speaking, obviously everyone like English speaking there, um, might not understand them, but in English speaking. <laughs> but they'll be very kind and patient as you try to understand. Yeah, so, and just gorgeous and and feels like a totally different nature, different landscapes mm-hmm. while still having, you know, access to a lot of resources yeah. and stuff. So. And they have those, um, the, the little cabins and stuff too, I think. I forget what they're called, but they... Um, they yeah. do, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, what's, why isn't the word? Somebody's like screaming uh, as they yeah. listen to this podcast. Yeah, sure. I think it starts to be. Um, I didn't, so for that tour, uh, my bike wasn't very like off-road ready. So I couldn't easily make it to a lot of those little huts, mm-hmm. um, but they are incredible. And if I went back, I would use them for a lot more for sure. I tried to Google it. I couldn't do it fast enough. So I just, And <laughs> <laughs> uh, what kind of bike were you using then? You mentioned your bike wasn't really made for off-road and, uh, or set up for it. Um, what was your bike and setup? Yeah. So for that tour, I knew nothing about bikes. Um, you know, I had ridden my road bike for years in triathlons, but, um, I borrowed my mom's touring bike Mm. and she had done a supported tour with it. And I knew nothing about bikes. So I was just like, Oh, it's a touring bike. She did way more than I'm going to do. Good enough. I'll use the touring bike. Um, but it was an old cyclocross bike. (laughs) So very like, uh, unstable compared to my now gravel bike. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the lowest gear inches was 37. And I was doing a lot of like mountains on my first tour. So that was challenging. The rack only 
I think the max on it was like 15 or 20 pounds. So it cracked in like four places, mm-hmm. but you know, got the job done and had an amazing time. Yeah. And just fixed it and maintained it as you kind of went and yeah. hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. And your setup. So if you didn't have a, you couldn't really hold much on the racks. I mean, I'm assuming you used panniers anyways, but you just kept them smaller or did you? No, no. Um, again, knew nothing. So I carried on that tour probably like 50 to 60 pounds on my rack, um, <laughs> which is why it cracked and was zip tied uh, to get a little further. And then I replaced it mm-hmm. with a stronger rack. But no, for that tour, I just had two big pennies that I think their total was like 50 liters. And then I had a big dry sack that I put on top. Oh, okay. So yeah, a lot of weight all in the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an, it's, a, it's a fairly new era, you know, something that we tend to do in our first, my first, first tour, same thing. I had a, a bike rack that had no brazons up high, so it was just attached to the seat post. And I didn't know that you can, well, now you can buy these nice adapters from Surly and stuff that you can then attach the bolts right to the edge of the bracket or whatever at the seat post collar. But I just took one of the bars and twisted it with pliers sideways so I could then stick it in between like the the gap and it was shit and it was so wobbly. If I stood up and pedaled, you know, the bike sway, it would just get worse and worse until I finally kind of fall off. So I, I would just sit down all the time and ride and I think I had... It was a mountain bike, and I think I had probably 20 kilos on there. Um, yeah. 20, 25 kilograms. So 50, 60 yeah. pounds, same thing. Just badly badly executed, <laughs> but it was my first tour, and it was amazing, yeah. and it was so much yeah. fun, and who gives a shit, Nick? <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, now I look back on it, you know, when I'm riding my – now my lowest gear inches is like 24, 25. Yeah. And I'm like – you know, it feels great, but like at the time I didn't know any different and I just, you know, kept mm-hmm. going, just yeah. kept biking and you figure it out. Yeah. And you said maybe if your knees are sore that day, you just kind of stop <laughs> or you push up the hill or whatever, you know, you kind of figure. Exactly. I've had, um, my, one of my, my touring bike, my actual touring bike is a bike Friday folding bike. Oh. And I've had so many people go like, how can you possibly tour with that bike? That is not, a, and I'm like, yeah, it's, um, it's made of steel. It's, it's made to tour. It can take four panniers. It's got three water bottle holders. It does just fine. It's it's a little wobbly in the steering when until you get used to it. You know, once your body yeah. adapts and you know, you get used to the micro controls and how your muscles have to, to twitch just a little bit differently to, to keep it under control, especially if you're going downhill really fast. Yeah. It's a perfectly good bike and it climbs yeah. climbs like a mountain goat. So Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so you had most of your setup and stuff on the back. How did you prepare for this tour? You said you did start thinking about it like two years ahead of time. And um, what was your process in terms of, you know, physicality, mentality, gear? um, How did you put things together? Yeah, totally. Um, For that first tour, honestly, I did way less research than, you know, maybe I should have, could have. Um, it was more just like a dream and it felt so far off for so yeah. long. And then I like, you know, I slowly put together the things I needed. It helped that my mom and my sister, when I was a teenager, they had biked across Canada. Okay. Um, so they would give me a lot of tips and I'd, you know, look at, um, I've watched like videos on YouTube and I listen to podcasts. Um, but a lot of that I did in like the last month before I left. For sure. And when I went over there, my plan was to, you know, quote unquote, bike across Europe, but 
all I knew was I was going to Scotland. I had my flight to Scotland. I didn't know where I was flying back from, where I was going to. And then I just kind of built it as I went and just kind of Mm. thought about what excited me. Yeah. And then used a lot of those great resources, you know, Facebook groups and being able to ask questions in bike train Facebook groups and stuff is super helpful. Yeah. There's so many groups and so good. Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. Um, Very. Occasionally people get in their own arguments about stuff, but (laughs) maybe more than occasionally, but, um, but there's still lots of great resources there for sure. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So your sister and your mom biked across Canada. You ever, is there like a regret that you didn't somehow join them when you were young? In hindsight? Uh, Not really, because uh, at the time I was 17, I was really into theater and I wanted to be in a show and Mm. I ended up working as an actor for many years. So, yeah, so I I have no regrets there. Uh, And also it's a different, it was a different style of tour. They did like, you know, the cross Canada, they were mostly on main roads and they don't mind that as much. But I really prefer finding those little off-road, hidden, quiet yeah. ways. So, you know, I think I found it in my own time. You're like an old bike touring soul, you know. The, the <laughs> most new bike tours that get off and they go on like the, the kind of direct routes and they learn it and then slowly they start to branch out and take the, take the off-roads. And you're like, no, no, I'm an old soul. I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's also, I think with the advent of gravel gravel biking and the growth of gravel biking, it's really kind of pushed those boundaries. And maybe it's like, maybe it is all GPS. It's the fact that now we have GPS devices that can kind of show us all these roads and lesser known ways that, you know, touring has really changed as a, as a way of life as well. That's a great point. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned uh, your bike tour. Maybe we can talk about a couple of the countries. Uh, you did talk about Scotland. And uh, what are some of the other great things about Scotland? Like, How much time did you spend there? And where did you go? Well, so I spent six weeks touring there. I went from Edinburgh up to Inverness, mm-hmm. then over to uh, the Isle of Skye, and then down to a couple other islands, and then uh, back to Glasgow and back to Edinburgh. Okay. But honestly, like, I just feel like even though Scotland is a relatively small country, there's just endless wonderful things. Like I would go back there and go further North, go to more, yeah, more islands. islands. Yeah. 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 I, th- I just think there's so much to see and just a lot of rich culture there, you know, especially when you get into uh, the Highlands, you know, all the grocery stores will still have their, um, Gallic 
writing. Oh yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I just made some lifelong friends there. People are just so friendly and wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. And just the fact that there's, you know, you can feel like things are really remote. You'll be in these, you know, gorgeous stunning mountains in the highlands, but then you'll still go through a small town that has, you know, a a decent grocery store that you can kind of stock up Mm -hmm. and, I recently saw an island for sale, um, not too far, and uh, you know, well, not too far. A couple ferry rides and a, maybe a boat. You need a boat probably at some point, and um, you know, this could be your calling. Yeah. <laughs> it's only half a million oh dollars God. Canadian, you know. Uh. <laughs> Pretty remote though. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, so isn't it Scotland that does the deep fried Mars bars? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I thought they were. Oh, I was going to say. So did you have one? But. I'm pretty sure Scotland does these deep fried Mars bars, but oh. and did you eat haggis at all? You know what? I actually didn't. Oh, um, so when I, I know when I was there, I was very much like on a budget. I cooked almost all my own food. Uh, I was camping a lot. So I tried a lot of just like Scottish uh, foods just from the mm-hmm. grocery store. Yeah. Like I just look for whatever I hadn't seen before and buy it. But every time I, the few times I actually went to a restaurant, I could never bring myself to spend the money on haggis. Yeah. So uh, in case I didn't like it, um, but at some point I will have to try You know, it. you can buy haggis in a can too. <laughs> yeah. I did not um, know that. So I lived in Malaysia and I worked with uh, quite a few British people, actually none of whom were Scottish. And, but the ones from like, northern part of england they love haggis like this is something they grew up eating as well and um, when we had friends coming back from the uk this my old principal would always be like hey can you bring me some haggis in a can and they would bring haggis in a can and and, uh yeah it was something that you could actually buy and i was like oh my god that's so weird like (laughs) it's a weird concept that you could buy it in a can but it kind of makes sense i guess anything could be canned right sure um, (laughs) it's kind of the catch-22 right of bike touring is that you you want to be able to go long term, so you got to cut your budget. But then at the same time, you miss out on some some cultural things and, or foods that you might otherwise have eaten if you know budget wasn't an issue. Because you you got to kind of maintain things and keep things under control. Yeah, yeah. I would say like um, on the flip side, in Europe, um, I was mostly cooking everything. Um, my partner and I just got back from a month bike touring in Turkey. Oh, we can um, talk about that and, a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that was very different for me because I normally could never buy um, in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, just because the way, you know, the Cheap. currency is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, you're probably a little bit more established now than you were three, four years ago. And you have, and as a month tour, it's a different thing than eight months tour, right? Yeah, that's true. A month tour is different than eight months for sure. But I was fully expecting just to make all my own food. And I remember we started going to a couple of restaurants when we first got there. And we're like, well, this is like very close to what we would spend to cook. Um, and we would still cook because we were camping, but um, yeah. we would go to restaurants more often. And that was a new experience for me hmm. for sure. Sweet. So yeah, I really want to go to Scotland and ride the Highland 550. That's one. That's on my, yeah, it's one of my, nice. my, my kind of big dreams uh, or wishes. Um, so leaving, leaving the United Kingdom, you cycled how many countries to get to Croatia and uh, what was kind of your general route and how did things go? 
I think it was, I think it was around 11, something like that. But it was, I went Scotland, uh, down through England to, took a ferry to um, the Netherlands. Oh, Netherlands, okay. Yeah. And then I went uh, over to Belgium. And then uh, from there, a warm showers host actually was riding to Berlin and invited me to go with them. Yeah. So I went over across Germany uh, then down Isn't to Berlin, such a great city. What, what a great oh, place. so great. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. I cycled there um, in 2015, uh, from Southern Sweden and I had a friend living there. Phenomenal. Like yeah. I had been there once some 10, a decade before that, uh, when I was younger, but that was just a lot of drinking and partying. And, but this time I went and my friend was like, yeah, I'll go stay at my boyfriend's house and you can, she rented a room in a house with a lot of people. And she's like, you can use my room and I'll go stay at my boyfriend's so that, you know, we all have our privacy and stuff. It's like, it's amazing. So I stayed a week. It was great. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I spent a week in Berlin as well, but it was more, um, as I got into Berlin, I fell. I had like my first oh, like no. big fall of the tour um, and really hurt my wrist. And so on the plus side, I was in Berlin for yeah. a week, um, just like healing. But yeah, lovely city. And then I went down to the Czech Republic and then, uh, back into Germany, uh, through the Alps to Italy, then over to Slovenia and then down to Croatia. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So what countries, any countries you want to talk about on uh, this European tour? Uh, yeah, everything holds a special place in my heart for sure. Croatia was stunning Mm -hmm. and it was also not even, you know, on, in terms of things on my radar, um, because I did so little research before I went, I didn't know much about it. And it was actually a friend of mine was like, what kind of built the structure of my tour was a friend of mine said, well, I was thinking about going to Croatia. Why don't I meet you there? Nice. Um, perfect. And that, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that kind of started this idea of, okay, well, why don't I cycle towards Croatia uh, over the next couple months? Um, but yeah, Croatia was just, just so beautiful, gorgeous mountains, um, gorgeous uh, water, Lovely people, again, just had a beautiful time there. The one thing I would say, and I learned about Croatia, was the coast road is very busy. Yeah. And so I learned to kind of, I'd pick, like, if there was two cities I wanted to go to, I would take, like, the long way inland and then come back out. Yeah. And And that, doing that, I found, like, some of the most quiet, beautiful roads. And I think you get away from the like the tourist prices too. Cause like Croatia, although not nearly as expensive as like Italy and stuff, I've heard along the coast and some of the cities, it could be just as expensive because it's just tourist money. And they're just like, Oh, we're going to just raise our prices. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Um, so yeah, I found some beautiful quiet roads and yeah. So I, I definitely recommend that, but I loved Croatia. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few friends there. I've been wanting to go for a decade. Um, so I had met them when I lived in Malaysia and, you know, we still follow each other and chat occasionally. And yeah, one, one day, some decade, somewhere in the future, who knows when, but, uh, the, the guy is now a, he's a football assistant coach, like a sports, the fitness trainer. And he's working in Iran of all places as a, for one of the big teams there. So it's, his career is going. So maybe next time he's back in Croatia working there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, oh, I hope you get to go. That'd be awesome. How is your, so we're, um, my next question was kind of about how your touring experiences have changed or grown since your early tours. So now we could jump forward to like thinking about Turkey versus this 
first tour. How have things grown organically for you in the sense that, you know, things you've learned from and done differently now? Yeah, totally. Well, I started working in a bike shop just to kind of learn more about bikes. Uh, So I started working in a bike shop to uh, learn more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's shaped a lot for me. You know, I think when I started working there, even I had put a bike on hold or an order to bike, but because of uh, the pandemic, it was going to come at some distant time in the future. Half a decade later. <laughs> yeah. And then now after, you know, bike touring more and learning more about bikes, I realized that it's just not even the right bike for me. Oh, that's, so, that's a good learning thing. You know, um, yeah. So I think I've more and more shifted towards wanting to be more off-road, <clears throat> more, um, the first tour I did, my only experience biking was on pavement, on doing triathlons. Right. And I can still remember the first few times I hit mud or hit gravel. I, I walked most of it. I was like certain I was going to fall. And then I've just started really falling in love with those quiet roads, those, you know, tractor roads and uh, gravel. Yeah. And so I think I'm more and more moving my, my bike and my style towards those quiet. So roads. many are, I mean, well here in the Gatineau park and <clears throat> sorry, just outside Ottawa, we still see, Insane amounts of road bikers because yeah. the the parkway is closed. I think, I think it's only open to vehicular traffic on Wednesday mornings, at, or Wednesday afternoons maybe till evening and weekends. Yeah. So the rest of the week it's closed to cars. So that now okay. you can have like before you weren't allowed having um, you know the people using the cross country skis on wheels like for yeah. they weren't allowed That's on really the roads. Really they weren't allowed on the roads here because they're considered too dangerous with cars around. But now they are allowed and skateboards are allowed in the Gatineau Park. So you see these guys on longboards going down these hills at like insane speeds. So it's great. Um, There's definitely a lot of controversy around it, but you still see lots of road bikers. And and that's one place I really see road cyclists. But otherwise, I think I see everybody I see has wider tires, gravel tires, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So how how. In the Toronto area, where do you go for, you know, gravel biking or, or just getting off the main roads and finding those quieter roads? Um, honestly, in the city, I mostly uh, just commute. Yeah. I, like, get everywhere by bike. Um, but then for off-road, there's some great options in Ontario. I'm uh, My partner and I did Toronto to Montreal, which was mostly paved. Oh, did you? Nice. But had some yeah. gravel sections. Along the St. Lawrence um, or...? Uh, it did go along the St. Lawrence. Yeah, it was, we did the waterfront trail. Yeah. Um, so along some wonderful water and then, uh, next week we're going to go do the GNR. So that'll be, Oh, are you nice? Yeah, Yeah. sweet. I haven't ridden it yet. I, I, I failed out on my, I was going to hoping to get to that this year when I did the, uh, BTXL, but then I lost my phone on the first night and I was just, I, I kind of, I had a momentary a mental mental collapse of uh, motivation and everything. So in oh, the no. end, I, I pulled the plug. But the GNR is on my radar. It's supposed to be nice. amazing. Yeah. Shout out to Matt Cady and all his hard work. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I'm so grateful to everyone who creates Roots. It's so amazing. Uh, but yeah, that'll be, I think, my first time doing um, more single track with a loaded bike. So yeah. 
it'll be a, a learning experience what, and super cool. What so. size, uh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to get nerdy here for a sec, but what yeah. size tires and stuff are you using on your bike when you do the GNR? Um, I'm, I am have uh, 650 by 47. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, was, I was riding a couple of years ago when I did the BT 700, I did 45s and it's doable. I mean, it, it's, a, it's fairly rough and stuff. Um, some sections, especially those unmaintained sections, but I think that GNR is a little bit more traily and tracky, so it's probably not as crazy um, as some of those downhills on the BT seven hundred. So yeah, I think forty seven okay. would be great. Um, Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. I'm a pretty patient bike tour as well. Like in Turkey, some of the climbs, you know, we'd be there's one day I think we pushed our bikes. 80% of the yeah. day and biked 20% because it was so steep, but no regrets is beautiful. So, yeah, yeah I've, I've learned to, um, well, I remember when my wife, when we, when we, she started riding, I would get so frustrated cause she'd start walking the hill, but, and, but in my mind it was like, it's not a big hill. You should be able to bike it. And so since those days I've learned to tone it down and, you know, like partners have to be able to work together and within their means. And, and, uh, she's not a big climber. I mean, I'm not a great climber. I just, hate giving up on the hill but <laughs> so now yeah. now i'm like okay i pulled the baby and the dog and you can ride the hill or push i'll probably be pushing but next to you if i have all those things so yeah <laughs> good setup yeah so awesome so you and your partner are going to hit the gnr and uh, i'm sure matt katie will be super thrilled to hear more people Yay. keep riding it and um, <clears throat> yeah so what did you end up going with in, in a bike in the end? Is that the gravel bike you'd kind of referred to? So, oh yeah. So yeah, while I was working in the bike shop mm -hmm. the, and my bike was never going to come, um, this, uh, it's a KHS grit 220. Oh yeah. And it came in and during that time it was like peak pandemic. There was no bikes, Nothing. especially an affordable gravel bike. Yeah. And somebody had ordered it and canceled it. And so oh. that day I was just like mine, mine. Um, so I bought it and then, it, it wasn't my like ideal bike by any means. It's like an aluminum frame and carbon fork. Sure. And, um, but it was perfect for the lack of uh, bikes that there were. And, options, um, yeah. and I made a lot of changes. I switched to the 650s so that I could get wider tires mm -hmm. on there. Um, I switched to butterfly bars because I uh, hurt oh, my yeah. wrist. Yeah. Um, and so I had to have wrist surgery. And so that kind of took some of the pressure off. From that fall in Germany? Yeah. How do you have surgery? Oh man. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Not on that tour. It just yeah. issues developed later yeah, on kind of. and, you know, got a new saddle and stuff. So I changed it a lot, but it served me really well. Yeah. And, um, and then I have all the parts on order for like a more long-term bike builds where I'm going to go hopefully with like a surly frame and fork and yeah. kind of put something that's, uh, more rugged and can go wherever in the world I want. Yeah. To what kind of surly bike are you looking for? Yeah. Any ideas? Um, so I'm going to do a build is mm -hmm. the plan. Uh, obviously still with, um, the shortages that there are just waiting on mm -hmm. everything to come in. But, uh, the frame is, Oh my gosh, why is my brain blanking? Oh no. I've been talking about it all the time and now I can't think of what it's It'll called. It'll come back in a minute. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of their mountain options. It's not, uh, the ogre. It is cross check. No, that wouldn't be that. No, so I love it too. there's three words. Again, somebody out there knows the answer. <laughs> not a karate monkey. Um, uh, <laughs> that's only two um, words. <laughs> here, wait. I'll look it up. I'm going to find it. Uh, here, can I pause you for a second? I'm going to go grab another coffee. Is that cool? Yeah, go all for right. it. 
I'm back. Sorry, I have an addiction problem, and it's coffee. <laughs> Probably the problem with coffee is it's too available. It's too easy to get. I need some harder drugs, something that's harder on the system and harder to get hold of. I guess. So delicious. Mm-hmm. Did you figure out what bike it was? Yeah, uh, it's the Surly Bridge Club. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh. Yeah. So it just said, um, so the bike that I had originally um, picked out, I would have loved to get. It's from a Canadian brand, but um, it was drop bars and the tire clearance wasn't as big. And it was like, as I was moving towards, um, I need, I can't do drop bars anymore with my wrist. Yeah. And just wanting to be more off road. Was it like a panorama cycles or something? It was Brody. Brody. Okay. Yeah. Great I bikes. Love, I love their bikes. I would love to own one of their bikes, but it just didn't make sense for me anymore. Yeah. So I'm going to do like the Surly and probably do um, like, you know, those crazy bars, Bella Orange crazy bars, yeah. like tons of hand positions. So yeah, going to be a bit of an experiment, but I'm just really excited to build a bike that's more durable and that, you know, I know all the components mm-hmm. of it and can hopefully, you know, maintain it well on the road. Yeah. There's, and there's so many options for handlebars now too. Like even I was looking at my bike and it uses flat bars and then somebody's like, you know, you could get the Surly Corner Bar. And I said, I know. I just don't know if I want to spend money on that right now. But um, it's something maybe I'll try out just to try it, you know, because yeah. I haven't had issues with numbness yet. Um, we'll see this weekend. I'm planning a huge, huge ride. Well, not this weekend. Sunday till Wednesday. So i my last four days of summer before I go back to work. And so I'm yeah. planning to do my route and try to ITT it. So maybe it's like either the 1,000 or the 1,300 kilometer route. We'll see how I get to when I have to branch off and how I'm feeling. But Wow. Um, yeah, so we'll see how the hands do on that because that'll be the real determiner of numbness and all those things that, you know, wrist issues. Can I ask yeah. you, um, as a female, and I, I hope that lots of females listen to this, um, saddles are such a, no pun intended, pain in the ass. Uh, yes. Have, what have you found works for you? And um, yeah. like Yeah. I, so yeah, I dealt with a huge issue with saddles when I decided to convert my bike from drop bar to, uh, butterfly bars that change in position. Um, then like it was, I was too far forward. I couldn't get my saddle far back enough. Oh, okay. So that was a big challenge. Um, I ended up, I got like the, uh, Thompson like setback, setback. bar. Yeah, I was just thinking that that made a big difference. Um, and then in terms of saddles, I went through so many saddles because especially if you're in an upright position, they're all like most wide saddles are designed. I find for, um, like they're cushiony, they're cruisers. They're Mm -hmm. like designed for people that don't spend a lot of time, as much time as we do touring on their bikes. It's funny how that works, huh? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I went through a whole bunch of them. And then before my last tour to Turkey, um, I was just in pure desperation. I was like, nothing is working. And I decided to test out um, the Brooks, uh, their wider one. Oh, okay. I think it's their like C19, maybe? C- yeah. yeah, I think C19. Um, their Cambium mm. uh, with a cutout. And uh, not perfect, but absolutely the best I've found oh, in wow. terms of more upright. Mm-hmm. Um Definitely, like, it's very, it's more stiff. So even, like, with bike shorts, you know, when I get in over the 100-kilometer mark, my 
tukis can get tender. Mm-hmm. Um, but compared to the options out there, it's the best that I think that yeah. I've found. So oh, far. interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. Um, through, through Brockton cycling, I picked up a C 17, um, carved and yeah. I, I use a B 17 carved, uh, Imperial, I guess it was called then, um, on, uh, as it is already. And I thought, yeah, this, the cambium, it should be perfect, you know, cause all weather and all these things, but I get like straight up the middle chafing and so uncomfortable, but now, like you mentioned, it could be just the position with that seat. So I've been using it on my mountain bike, uh, sorry, my, my titanium, uh, mountain bike packing bike. And yeah. maybe it's just, I'm a little bit more upright and it's causing that different position, um, so maybe, like you said, maybe I should put it on my gravel bike and see if being down a little bit more streamlined changes that. Maybe it's perfect. Who knows? I was going to sell it, but maybe I should give it one more big ride and yeah, <laughs> see how I much tor- tortures me. <laughs> During my experimentations, I definitely learned that so much of it is, yeah, moving it back, moving it forward, tilting it down, tilting it back. Mm-hmm. Um, really like exploring all the options uh, can make a difference for sure. Yeah. And it's so hard because... Like it's, it's so hard. Cause you know, you know, you were uncomfortable and sore and whatever. And then you're like, all right, I got to do it for another, you know, century ride with this thing to see if it kills me. And you're like, yeah. oh. <laughs> it's like, I currently have a wasp nest an in ground wasp nest in my backyard, um, oh, no. off in a corner. I mean, I have a big yard and you know, I got stung four times two weeks ago. So now I'm out there and I'm trying to figure out how to kill these guys. And, 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 and every time I go near it, I start to like, Almost not hyperventilate, but I'm like, oh, please don't let me get stung because it hurts so much. Oh, like, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing with the saddle. You're like, oh, please don't hurt me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And is it, is it, um, were you still working in the industry while trying to figure out the saddle thing? Because I think it's probably one of the advantages of being in an industry is you can actually yeah. go through the process of buying and selling saddles till you find your right perfect saddle because they're so, you know, monetarily it can be challenging too to try to find your right saddle no it really can the hard thing is i found um was that while i was i was you know we're still dealing with the effects of the pandemic on Mm -hmm. supply chains yeah so i would find a saddle that i'd be like oh i think this is the right one but you know it might not come in for months and i had a tour coming up so that was the big was the big challenge was you know ordering something, waiting for it to come in, it not being quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Brooks, um, I actually, and it also depends on like what different bike stores carry and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to find a Brooks that I was able to test. Um, so that made a big difference for sure. Okay, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and there are some shops out there that you might be able to find that allow like bike seat testing if you're buying from exactly. them and you can exchange or whatever. and yeah. They'll sell it, keep it as a tester or sell it used to somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So what are some of the things on your early tours that you took that you kind of realized I just didn't need, you know, I think you mentioned you had 60 pounds and, uh, <laughs> the, um, well, so on my first tour, um, I still think on that first tour, even though I had a lot of stuff, I do think I needed a lot of it mm-hmm. and I still use a lot of it to this day. Um, and the big thing is, is that when you're starting out and you're on a budget, you go with what you have, right? Sure. You don't 
if you don't have the most lightweight rain jacket, you go with the rain jacket you have. You go with like the, you know, camping mat you can afford. Um, So a lot of those things uh, I've, you know, some things I've started to replace, I'll continue to replace as I need to. So it's like, I know that things will get more streamlined. um, But for just starting out and making do, I think it definitely uh, worked just as it needed to. Um, one thing I've, uh, begrudgingly realized is, um, because uh, I am a nutritionist, so Mm -hmm. food is really important to me. So that first tour, and I was on a budget as well. So I had my, a dry sack on top of my rack that was all food. I had like a jar of peanut butter, a jar of jam, um, you know, oats would be on sale. So I'd grab Mm -hmm. the five pound bag of oats. Um, and I remember when I was riding with, um, <laughs> that group that I rode from, uh, across Germany with, I pulled out this five pound bag of oats and they were like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, I didn't know any different and I was more focused on, you know, making sure I had enough food and yeah. I could stick to my budget. And so I just biked up the hills with my five pound bag of oats. Um, but now, you know, I'm starting to pick the smaller one as long as I'll have enough to go with. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I would say that was a big thing for me. Um, I, I also, you know, I went with the tent I had, which was, I borrowed it from, um, my sister who, but she hadn't used it, um, since her tour across Canada. And so I set it up to make sure I had all the parts. Um, but unfortunately it, uh, it was old and so it leaked and a leaky tent in Scotland is a rough situation (laughs) to be in. You could Um, drown. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I think I would be, uh, I'm probably more, a little more diligent now about testing all my gear and that kind of thing too. My wife and I did something similar. Um, last year, a year ago, we went to Banff and Jasper and we took, uh, we took an old tent she had, Instead of my slightly smaller, cozier tent, we took her tent and I set it up in the backyard and I never even thought to think about resealing it. And the very first night that we, we only used it a couple nights. So that was the plan it was just a couple short little trips. And uh, we came to use it and it was leaking like crazy and it was raining so hard. So we climbed into the rented SUV and folded all the seats down and we slept in there. And yeah, yeah it was brutal, but. <clears throat> lesson learned next day we yeah. bought a tarp to go over it yeah. nice <laughs> um so let's talk about uh nutrition mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i'll just switch a couple things around because you mentioned nutrition so what are um yeah so let's talk about you being a nutritionist and what are some of the challenges i guess that have that you found while to maintain a healthy diet while on the bike yeah i would say some of the biggest things are one um eating enough food, um, that can be hard for a number of reasons. You know, you just, you get distracted on the bike. Um, you're used to eating in your kind of set pattern uh, as you do at home. And, you know, sometimes, uh, I won't eat as much and then I'll realize I need to catch up on that. Um, and then a big thing is eating uh, the same foods a lot. Uh, you, I remember you chatting about this with uh, the team at Brockton, and it was so good. Is palate fatigue? Yeah, is just getting oh, you saw tired that one, of the <laughs> same foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, and it's such a it was such a great thing you guys chatted about because 
it's it's really true. And I have food allergies as well. Oh, so okay. sometimes, you know, I just really have those few things that I know I can eat. Um, and you can get tired of them and then you don't eat as much and your body can feel that as well. Um, so yeah, getting that kind of wide variety of healthy foods in can be tricky, Mm -hmm. um, but just takes a little, a little practice and work. Yeah. And we should mention at this point in the show that this is just a discussion. And if, (laughs) as you talk about in your video, this is not doctor's advice. So take it with a grain of salt, listen, open your ears, but make sure that anything that we talk about kind of fits with uh, any chats you might have with your doctor. Because people have different needs and different health issues. And, you know, it is a conversation and not medical advice. Um, not that I think anybody's going to sue us, but you are a nutritionist, so you never know what could come your way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is just a discussion. You should always consult with your healthcare providers. Oh, that sounds more official. I like it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So does the mantra like eat whatever you want, whenever you want, because you're on a bike tour and you're burning lots of calories, does that really hold sway? Like if, what, what are your opinions? If not, Why? Um, so I would, I would shift it a little, um, in the sense that, uh, to a hungry body, any food is good food. Mm -hmm. So if you are in the middle of nowhere and you can't get, you know, this lovely, uh, veggie filled quinoa bowl, all you have is a bag of chips. Um, that is still wonderful fuel for your body. Your body's going to use that salt. It's going to use, uh, those potatoes, it's going to really appreciate it um, because the stress of being hungry is always way more uh, challenging for your body. Um, but it's important to remember calories are just a, a unit of energy, mm-hmm. but foods actually contain a whole host of nutrients um, and our bodies use them in different ways. And so all those kind of vitamins and minerals and nutrients that, uh, different foods have in different amounts, mm-hmm. um, are absolutely crucial to maintain our immune systems, to help with our digestion, to help with rebuilding tissue. Um, and so our bodies can really feel the repercussions if we're not getting access to those nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not on day one, but it's as you go, right? Exactly. Like, Yeah, especially if um, it's uh, a longer tour, Um, nutrient deficiencies are a real thing. And so uh, we need to be be mindful that, yes, consuming large amounts or consuming more food is important, Mm -hmm. um, but that our bodies need those nutrients that come from whole foods as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Actually, and on that note, there's a there's somebody I had on the podcast a couple of years. Oh, man, almost three years ago now. Sam Rice. no pun to his name, Rice, but he he makes amazing food and he bike packs with his girlfriend. And I think right now they're in New Zealand or Australia uh, or maybe they're back in Thailand. Anyways, they're somewhere in that part of the world. Yeah. Um, but he has a lot of videos, I think, on his website. You can anyways, you can find Sam Rice by searching him. But he yeah. does some amazing cooking with like minimal nutrient, nutri- uh, not nutrients, minimal ingredients and showing Love what it. you can do and how you can make things flavorful. So if you're listening and you're wondering how can I cook a good meal, check out Sam Rice. He's got some really good stuff on his, and this is not a paid sponsor podcast. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> it's just, awesome a, just a guy I know that cooks some cool food and more than I would ever do when I'm touring personally, but that's because I'm pretty lazy. But <laughs> maybe now with the baby and stuff, I'd be looking to make those extra steps and make good food for her as she gets out older. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what can you tell us about um, <clears throat> micro and macronutrients? I know that you talk about it in one of your videos and 
how do they apply to bike touring nutrition or, or what are they for those that might not even know? Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, macronutrients are those nutrients that are present in large amounts in food, uh, macro large amounts. And so uh, those are carbohydrates, proteins and fats. Um, and they're all absolutely crucial to our bodies. Mm. Uh, so carbohydrates are things like fruits, vegetables, uh, grains, beans, um, proteins uh, you'll find in uh, eggs, meat, beans, uh, some whole grains, nuts, seeds. Uh, and then fats you'll find in things like avocados, avocado oil, olives, olive oil, nuts, seeds. Um, and so it's, all of them are really important. Our bodies use each of them for different things. Um, and so it's really important that we're getting a wide variety of them. And so when we're uh, often people look at calories, but like I said, calories are just a unit of energy. Right. Whereas if we look at macros or macronutrients, it's easier to get a sense of uh, whether we're having that varied diet. Um, and you don't need to be obsessive by it, about it by any means, but it can just be helpful that at the end of the day, um, not just when you're touring, but um, at home as well, just kind of looking back and going, okay, did I get some carbohydrates? Did I get mm. some proteins? Did I get some fats? Um, and if you're starting to notice a few days in a row that, you know, maybe you're lacking in protein sources, then maybe that's something that you can start looking at incorporating more. Um, so that can just help give you an overview of your nutrient needs. Mm -hmm. Um, and then micronutrients are those nutrients in smaller amounts. Um, and you'll find them, uh, those are kind of like, uh, vitamins, vitamins and minerals. Okay. Exactly. Um, and they're present in very large amounts in fruits and vegetables, uh, but then also in nuts and seeds and uh, whole grains and beans and legumes as well. So uh, just consuming that kind of wide variety of whole foods, okay. um, both during uh, tours and uh, when you're at home can be really helpful. Okay. And um, so what, what kind of like, Carbohydrate, I guess carbohydrates, they, I mean, they play like, they're, they're an easy source of uh, energy, right? Compared to like breaking down proteins and fats into energy sources, carbs are, carbs are kind of your first, uh, the first ones to go. So I know a lot of people always talk about carb loading before a triathlon or, you know, getting the right amounts of carbs while you're touring. Um, what are some carbohydrate dense foods that people can carry on a tour that aren't crazy heavy, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. um, five pounds of five pounds of uh, muesli or whatever it can be kind of it's, it's five pounds so what are what are some yeah. options that people can consider yeah so i mean uh carbohydrates break down into kind of two categories um there's simple carbohydrates that are easier those are your sugars um that are easier to digest and they make great quick fuel okay um, and then complex carbohydrates, um, they take a little longer to digest, um, still faster typically than uh, proteins or fats. Mm -hmm. um, but they're a great uh, nutrient source to incorporate as well. And those are going to be uh, your things like whole grains or beans. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, you know, simple sugars you can get uh, by, you know, adding some uh, juice to your water. Um, Maple syrup. Yeah, yeah, maple syrup, juice, um, just kind of sweetening up that water. Obviously, if you're um, in a race, there's things like gels or shot blocks um, that'll give you that quick hit. Um, and then complex carbohydrates, though, for touring, um, 
the best ones are going to be whole grains and beans. And it's just about finding the ways to carry them that's more sustainable. So not grabbing that five pound bag of oats like I once did. Um, But some grains, especially things like couscous, often you can find rice that'll come in just a small pack that'll last you a day or two. Mm -hmm. Um, you can often, they'll come in like a bag inside a box. You can just recycle the box. The bag will be very malleable to get into your bags. Um, and then beans, you know, obviously a can of beans is quite heavy. Um, but they are starting to come out with kind of more like pouches that oh, yeah? have beans like in the, them. Like the, the, like whatever you would call those, um, like the flat packs or whatever you want to call yeah, them. Yeah. Like almost what you'd see, like, uh, some of those baby foods that yeah. kind of squeeze out. Um, that kind of flat, malleable mm, package that's, that's much lighter. You don't have the can and you can just toss that in your bag as well. Yeah. You can just roll it up and after you're done and put it in a garbage bag and it doesn't take too much space. Don't let it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so finding those little ways. Now, is there like minute rice versus soaked rice? Is there, is there a difference in nutritional value or... I mean, in terms of um, nutritional value, you know, brown rice or wild rice is going to have more uh, nutritional value. Um, Minute rice has typically already been kind of like uh, parboiled. So it's already been partially cooked and it'll typically be a white rice. So it won't be as um, nutrient rich. Um, but it's all give and take, right? You know, if that's going to get some rice and some food into you and not have you, you know, use up half your fuel heating rice for 20 minutes, um, it's all about finding that balance. Um, so if, if that's going to make it more sustainable for you to make a whole meal that has those veggies and that protein and that minute rice, Mm -hmm. you always got to find that balance that's actually sustainable for you. When I was touring in 2020 up in, um, Western Canada, I found that, um, the uncle Ben's pre like parboiled stuff, um, you can find brown rice that had, you know, some whatever veggies and stuff in it or fake veggies, whatever they were. Uh, but they also tend to be very salty, but that's not a terrible thing if you're out in the heat of the day, cycling a lot and sweating a ton. Right. So um, the food does tend to be saltier and, uh, but maybe that's good. Maybe that's a good thing. Salt is a a key part of endurance and touring for sure. Um, because those electrolytes, uh, sodium, potassium, magnesium, um, those are all really crucial uh, and we burn through a lot of them when we're sweating and exercising. Mm. So uh, getting some, I usually travel with like um, a little uh, salt shaker of sea salt or Himalayan salt. Yep. And I just put it on my meals uh, to top up those. Liberally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now for breakfast, lunches and dinners, any uh, recommendations? I think like you're saying beans. So refried beans, is that still a good thing in breakfasts or? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I actually, I, I can send you the link. I made like a, an ebook that has a couple adaptable oh, recipes in it yep. um, that are, I make them really adaptively so that you can just use what you have depending on wherever you are. Okay. Um, so for instance, for breakfast, I typically um, look for uh, some kind of grain. So whether that be muesli or uh, rolled oats or granola, and then getting some sources of uh, micronutrients and a- mm-hmm. antioxidants. So some fruit, like chopping up an apple. 
Um, and then uh, throwing in some like sources of protein and fat. So some nuts or seeds. Okay. Berries or whatever um, you can have, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are your, do you pre-soak yeah. the night before? I know like some people say in an effort to conserve water, if you pre-soak your, your grains, like the night before breakfast or your muesli or whatever, then in the morning it takes less time to cook them because they're already kind of absorbed every, a lot of water and... You know, I, I haven't done that. Um, I wouldn't, uh, oats can actually get soft pretty quickly. Um, like even if you woke up and you know, you kind of started soaking them while you're kind of taking down your tent, they might actually be, um, edible by the time you're done. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind eating them cold. Um, but no, that's certainly an option. Um, I tend to have them either in water or a mix of water and juice or, um, yeah, or there's some, um, plant milks that will last if you're in cool enough conditions. Right. Um, so sometimes I do that as well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like Quaker oatmeal for breakfast, you know, yeah. even the instant packs because they, they, you could buy a box and they pack them in every nook and cranny and totally. don't have to totally worry about it. And um, yeah, those are so, so good, um, yeah. especially when you wake up and you're not motivated to cook a bigger breakfast. Yeah. Um, I, had yeah. A, I, had a, I had a listener a while back ask me about um, food for people with gastrointestinal issues. Now, I didn't know, I couldn't give him any advice, but I thought eventually I'll have somebody on that might be able to talk about that. And, and here you are. So I don't know if you have any advice for those that have gastrointestinal issues or, and I don't even really know what that all means, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, um, yeah, completely understandable. Um, so basically when we're exercising all, that's going to be the body's priority. It's under stress. It's going to move that blood and that focus to our muscles. Uh, and then that our digestion is going to take a back seat. It's just not going to be as important for our body's survival. Um, so that means we can end up with any kind of digestive issue, you know, nausea, uh, heartburn, in, uh, indigestion. I'm just going through the Pepto-Bismol song right now by accident. Um, <laughs> like diarrhea, constipation. You can really end up with any of those symptoms. Okay. Um, so some things to be mindful of. Um, is trying to avoid eating large amounts during that kind of um, a more intense period. Mm-hmm. So if you can, having your breakfast an hour or two before you start your ride, you know, waking up, having breakfast, and, and then taking up. down your tent, packing right. up your bags. So that by the time you get on the road, your body has had a little oh, time to digest. Okay. So I guess I do have um, GI tract issues. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all kind tough. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't um, really have a name for it before. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It puts a lot of stress on our bodies, mm-hmm. um, and then being mindful uh, to the extent that you can of when you're having your meals of the day. So, like, if you know you have this huge climb, um, pausing halfway through to have a big lunch, and then getting back on your bike five minutes later and hustling up this climb is probably not going to feel very good. Um, and obviously food is a huge priority, but just trying to time it so that, you know, maybe you have some flats after you have your lunch or maybe, you know, you have that easier section, Mm -hmm. um, can go a long way. Uh, and then also kind of like you mentioned, um, proteins and fats take longer to digest, so they're absolutely crucial, but trying to have them in the largest quantities in the evening so your body has time to digest 
um, and, you know, having them in some amounts in the morning, that hour or two before you ride. And maybe even if you can tolerate it throughout the day, but in small amounts. So having, okay. trying some nuts, some seeds. Like energy balls having, or something. You can have exactly. one energy ball and then one energy wait an ball hour. Exactly. But not having a, a big fatty meal and then hopping back on your bike, that might not feel as nice. Okay. So before, um, and then yeah. obviously consult your doctor and goes without see, saying know, nutritionist and yeah, naturopath and see if there's something else going on. Now, bike packing, bike touring and bike pack racing are, I'd say bike pack racing is kind of its own category and it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, I, I enjoy pushing my body to the limits to see what I'm a ca- capable of, like I said about coming up on Sunday. Um, yeah. Now, I've always struggled a bit with um, with food intake because, like you said, you can't have that big meal at night because you kind of go all night. Like, Ideally, if it's a long enough race, you might go for three to four hours sleep a night. But if it's something that's in the three to four day realm, I'm probably aiming at one to two hours a night. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not really getting that time to really digest well. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice is there on that? How, how can I fuel the body effectively? Something I've struggled with is, um, not quite bonking, but getting the right amount of nutrients in. And like you mentioned, like without having acid reflux or, um, mm-hmm. throwing up, you know, sometimes when I did triathlon, yeah. I would come out of the swim, probably not the ideal time to take down a bunch of energy, but I'd take an energy gel Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'd drink some water and then it would all come up, you know? So yeah. it was hard to keep yeah. things down after a really hard effort. It's completely understandable. Um, that kind of effort, it puts so much strain on our kind of internal muscles, um, like our lungs, our core, everything's activated. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to create this pressure that can bring things back up, whether that be food um, or just stomach acid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, something to be mindful of, um, especially like you mentioned with, um, aero bars, uh, being horizontal is a con- contributor to, uh, things like acid reflux. Yeah. And so you're basically horizontal. Um, and so it can be helpful, obviously, you know, you're in a race and it's all about balancing what you can do, but trying to take a moment after you eat to kind of sit up. Uh, take it a a little easier if you can, just to help that food settle. Um, But then also uh, preparing our body to eat. So rather than, you know, all of a sudden you're like, okay, it's fuel time and you eat instead, take a couple of minutes before to like smell the food, put it back, smell the food, pull it back to just, because our bodies release digestive enzymes, stomach acid when we're eating and so normally if you're at home, right, you smell the food cooking, you put it on the plate, your body knows, oh, we're getting ready to eat. We're going to start salivating. We're going to start releasing our digestive enzymes. But when you're in exercise mode, your body, like digestion is the furthest, furthest thing from your body's mind. Yeah. Um, so just cueing it to be like, hey, get ready. I'm going to eat. Hey, get ready. I'm going to eat. Um, and then have something to eat and see if that helps just kind of get the digestion process going so it's not shocked and trying to like deal with this food okay so like would that even work like um in the sense of like let's say jujubes like candies if you just put one in your mouth suck on it for a few minutes instead of chewing and swallowing right away and then after a few minutes you can start to eat them and yeah that's another big thing is when you are eating you know sometimes we just wolf it down yeah i like the biggest baddest one of those like i eat so fast (laughs) 
Military family and all, I guess. Yeah, but it's like when you think about it, right, if you eat that food with only a couple bites, your stomach, it's going to be in your stomach way longer because your stomach's trying to pull it apart Um, and deal with it. Whereas if you chew it and chew it and chew it and it's slowly going down, um, it's going to take less time, less effort. It's going to be in your stomach for less time. And so Um, you'll have an easier time digesting And you probably absorb the nutrients faster, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the biggest training things I can do to train my body is to start taking my time to eat at home. Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. (laughs) It's huge. Honestly, it's such a common thing in just in day-to-day life, making Mm -hmm. sure that we're smelling our food, chewing our food. Um, we can eat really fast and on the run. So and yeah, is this all thing. related? Like I also have had acid, re- like uh, last year I was doing a big route and I had some massive acid reflux to the point where I could only drink water and nothing yeah. else would stay down. Um, but at that point I had been probably a 12 hours without a proper meal. My, I, I was between places where I could get a proper meal. And until I did get a real meal into me, I was, I was really suffering, nearly pulled yeah. the plug. I was like on my last legs. Um, now is that also just because of, quality of food like too much candy and or peanut butter too many like it was i had like some wraps that were peanut butter and honey still but i couldn't eat them like just yeah it can be a number of things um some foods do contribute more uh to issues so some people find they deal with um acid reflux uh, when they have citrusy foods or spicy mm. foods, um, coffee can contribute sometimes. Um, everybody's different. Don't you ever talk bad about coffee. I'm sorry. I, I love coffee. I love <laughs> coffee. I'm here for it. Um, but it can be helpful um, starting like to just uh, uh, log what you eat during training as well. Um, and not just during your uh, training, but kind of before as well. Oh, okay. So keeping an eye on what you have um, for breakfast, what you have during your rides, and seeing if there's anything that's kind of repetitive that's contributing. Um, and then, of course, making sure that you're training as close as possible uh, with the foods that you'll be using. Right. Um, during your races. Well. Yeah. I've recently started using more maple syrup. Uh, I use a ton of it at home cause I made a bunch this year. So I had like 17 liters of maple syrup. Oh, sweet. And so I actually have some in the garage still from when I didn't finish the BT 700 or XL this year. Uh, but I had mixed some with caffeine pills and <laughs> crushed up caffeine pills and sea salt and then yeah. boiled it a bit. So it all dissolves. And then I put it in the packs and then I had some that were playing with no additions, no additives, maybe at, uh, you know, if you know you're going to go to sleep in the next hour or two and you're like, I just need a bit of energy for now. Don't take wow. the one with caffeine. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I'm going to work on that and see how that goes. But um, also Race Day Fuel is one of my sponsors. Uh, they are now distributing maple products. So they sent me a whole big tester pack, one of everything. Sweet. So I'm going to definitely use that on this one, even though I won't have tested it. I do eat a lot of maple, so I thought it would probably be okay yeah hopefully uh it'll be interesting to try out the different flavors you know like the cocoa and raspberry stuff like i'm not a huge person for like coffee flavored sports gels but we'll see how it goes i don't know yeah because i yeah over the years of racing i've tried you know every flavor of everything imaginable Mm -hmm. and they don't always hit the palate right you know because your body's thinking maybe like this isn't coffee like what are you doing sticking this in my body (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah it's interesting but uh, yeah, my, my biggest goal and hope is like try to to carry some real foods, 
even if it's like Tim Hortons farmers wraps, you know, like at least it's there's yeah. egg and there's bacon and there's bread and whatever that sauce is. And I find they go really well in your New Jersey pockets. Yeah. And in terms of real foods, like uh, one that can also be helpful too, um, obviously more for the first part of your race if it's really long, but um, just like baking like a sweet potato or a potato. Oh, yeah. It's a, it seems like an awkward thing to carry, but um, in terms of nutrient profiles, um, it's, you know, simple carbohydrates, yeah. easier to digest, but still like a whole food. Oh, um, yeah. And it's like baked or air fried, that kind of thing. It's all good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And sweet potato is kind of better than a regular potato, I guess. Right. Cause there's more. Well, sweet potatoes are great. Potatoes get a bad rap. They're actually, yeah. they're a great source of simple carbohydrates. They're a source of vitamin C. Um, so are they so simple or complex? Oh, sorry. Complex. Okay. They're complex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're a great source of nutrients. Unfortunately, you know, we deep fry them constantly, so mm-hmm. they get a bad rap, but, um, they can be a great source of nutrients too. But, um, sweet potatoes are nice cause they have that hit of uh, sugar as well. Oh, okay. So that's awesome. Maybe I'll have to do some, we do have some around cause the baby, she's starting to eat sweet potatoes and uh, yeah. she, it's good. She likes it. And surprisingly, this baby loves spinach. Yeah. 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 I was like, well, that's weird. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's, uh, anything I missed about um, nutrition that we kind of want to touch on things that I might not have asked that you can think of. No, I think the biggest thing is just, is just prioritizing it. You know, there's so much to think about with bike touring or uh, bike pack racing. Um, And it's just important to remember that we can't do any of that without fuel. Um, so prioritizing that time to, to get that fuel in, um, and to find as, as wholesome foods as we can, mm-hmm. is just going to help us feel better. It's going to make us less likely to get sick, less likely to have digestive issues, less likely to feel fatigued. So yeah. just trying to find that time for it. Yeah. And I find like everything you do in bike pack tour or bike touring or bike packing kind of is, it's not really different with bike pack racing in the sense that this is just an intense version where everything is so much more critical. Cause if you hit yeah. that wall where you run out of energy, it's really hard to recover from it, uh, it mentally and physically. Um, you could be down for hours or days, you know, like just, um, yeah, no, it's, you can't forget about having a, a good time. Uh, if you, if you don't fuel well, if you don't hydrate, yeah. get lots of water in, um, then you're just going to crash and burn. Yeah. When I did the uh, BT 700, uh, last year at the start of the year, I, I, I held the FKT for a couple of days, but I burned like, I think 27,000 calories in two and a half days. It was yeah. pretty intense. So there's no way you can take that in. Um, so I guess the idea is taking what you can try to keep it as diverse as possible in terms of micros and macros and uh, yeah. hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. And um, I would say too, like with bike touring, because a lot, most training, if people are training for their bike tour, they're just on, they're riding their bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but just keep in mind that when you add those pounds of weight to your bike, that really increases um, your energy expenditure. Right. Um, so you're likely going to need a lot more food. Um, and when you're under that stress, your body might not give you the same cues. You might not get that grumbly belly. Mm -hmm. You might instead feel fatigued or feel moody. Um, so just paying attention to those subtle Mm. signs of maybe needing some food or water. 
Yeah, I've been training pulling a dog and a baby, so it's been... Uh, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's jump into the last thing I had to talk about, which is your content creation. Um, so you're, you're growing your YouTube channel. I mean, it, it takes a long time, isn't it? It's, such a, it's so difficult and takes so much work. So how did you get started in it? And what, what do you make? Tell us about it. Yeah, so I started um, making videos about nutrition. Um, I went to school for originally for acting and theater, and then I went back to school for nutrition. And while I was working as a nutritionist, I was like, oh, I just miss that creative side. Um, so I started making videos about the things that, you know, I was talking to my clients about the most. Um, and I thought, why don't I just put this resource somewhere where like more people can access mm-hmm. it? Uh, and then when I decided to do my first bike tour, I thought, oh, why don't I make some videos about bike touring? Um, and yeah, I've just continued that ever since, mostly focusing on bike touring, but um, bringing some nutrition information as well, just because I think that's a, a really helpful thing for people to know mm-hmm. about bike touring. And um, yeah, I just want to share more resources, more information with people you know, um, all those things that, you know, I think would be helpful. The things that I researched, I want people to just have easy access to in, yeah. in a video. Yeah. And, and one thing um, I, I really like about your videos is that it's very much you and the camera talking with little, little clips here and there of pictures of things you've experienced or like cycling up a big hill while you're talking about chatting on challenges of climbing hills or whatever. And I think that's great in, when when I look at things as as a podcaster, one of the biggest challenges is the time it takes to make stuff, at, but still get your point across. And like the way you've done it is, it's very personal. It's so it's, you're you're it's like you're having a discussion or listening to somebody talk to you directly. Uh, but it also kind of gives you all that information without just being a nonstop video in the background. You know, Thank so, you. so I think it's really Thanks. nice. Yeah, it's it's um it's a nice balance as opposed to sometimes it's you're watching a video where the person just talks and you hear a voice out of the, out of the nether in the background. And <laughs> so it's, it's, it is very nice. So people check Thank her out. Thank you so much. And uh, I know the challenges of growing something like the podcast, it took a long time. And once it starts growing, it's kind of exponential too, which is really neat. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm sure the numbers will continue to grow and uh, good Thanks work on so the videos. Much. Now, how do you choose your topics of discussion? Is it just based around your work and passion of biking or? Yeah, um, I think it's, I, you know, I'm often biking to and from work Mm -hmm. um, or on a tour and I just end up, you know, you always end up just your mind wanders when you're biking. Um, And I just think about the things that, you know, I wish I knew had known Uh earlier. um, And I just kind of think about some of the things related to that. And if there's some information I could share with people and then, uh, and then I just film it. Awesome. And have you had people reach out and say, Hey, can you talk? What, what's your thoughts on this? Can you talk about that? Or is it just so far just been like your own, uh, your own thought process going into it? Um, it's a lot of my own thought process. Um, but yeah, more and more, I get, uh, people asking for videos or uh, discussion on different topics. Mm-hmm. Um, working in a bike shop now too, you know, sometimes you'll have a few people in a row come in asking about something. You're like, I should make a video about that. I think more people need mm-hmm. to know about that. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. And are you still working in the bike shop or is this uh, just like yeah. part-time hours? And Yeah. So I work uh, part-time in a bike shop. Um, I teach nutrition workshops as well. Um, and then I make videos. Awesome. Love it. Um, what, what kind of equipment do you use to record? Are you using a camera? Is it just a uh, computer? What do you call it? A computer camera yeah, yeah. or is it a proper camera? <laughs> no. 
Totally. I use um, my camera now is the Sony ZV-1. It's like the typical vlogger camera. Oh, okay. Um, I, so for my first bike tour, I had, I borrowed again, my mom's, uh, Canon camera, but I didn't have any like front handlebars or anything. So it was like, anytime I wanted to shoot something and I was biking on my own, I'd have to get off my bike, get it out of my pannier, set it up, film me going up the hill again. And it was just way too effortful. Um, so I actually have very little footage from that first tour. Um, but then I got the Sony ZV-1, which is very little. I have like a little handheld tripod. Um, I have the Rode Video Micro oh, as nice. my microphone. Yeah. Um, and then that all sits in my, I have the Ortlieb Ultimate 6 handlebar bag oh, yeah. that yep. flips open. So it's so easy to just like pop in, pop And did out. you like do some foam padding in there or they make an insert, I think, right? Oh, you know what? I don't actually, it's like a, it's a pretty small point and shoot. Oh, is it? Okay. So I just try to make sure that I usually like wrap it in some kind of fabric. Right. Um, but yeah. When I did my first tour, I had a, well, the original Ortlieb type bigger bag. Um, and I went and bought like some one inch foams close to cell foam or an open cell. So quite, quite cushy. Yeah. And then I kind of wrapped it around inside and I put double sided tape all the way around and on the bottom I had a layer and it was, it was perfect, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it took time and it was a little bit overboard, but it was a DSLR. So it was like, it was pretty big. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, you know, yeah. it's what you use, what you have and you don't go spend a bunch yeah. on something that's an experiment or a first shot at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're, can I ask like, what do you use to edit and stuff your videos and all that it's um totally yeah i use uh premiere pro mm-hmm. i started editing on uh just imovie um my approach both with bike training and with making videos has been like just start with what you have yeah and if you exceed uh the uses of that uh, particular thing then you can like invest in the next step right um so yeah i started with imovie and then when it started to get to the point that i was like i can't do the things i think i'm capable of doing now then I moved over to Premiere. Okay. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I I taught myself how to edit. Um, and my biggest thing was I would just try to learn one new thing per video. Um, because I found that each thing can take you hours. Like yeah. learning how to, um, you know, uh, duplicate a... Uh, a shot or something um, could take me 30 minutes, an hour, multiple hours yeah. to get, you know, 20 seconds um, cut. And so um, I learned to just, you know, first it was just cutting clips together and then I added in transitions and mm-hmm. then the next video I added in sound effects. And then the next video um, I learned how to do keyframes, which is like moving the uh, shot Um, and then the next video I learned how to add music and then I added voiceovers and so I, I found that to be the most sustainable. So I didn't get too daunted. Yeah. um, Cause I think a lot of people out there bike touring have this thought, like I'm going to video and I'm going to create video content, but it can be, like you said, daunting. It can be, you try to do your first one or two and you realize that you've spent a week to make a small video and you know, and then you're like the rest of the next week you're riding, you're like, Oh my God, I got to do that again. Like it's so brutal. And yeah. so keep it simple is I guess the, like you said, learn, try to learn skills 
one at a time or maybe do an online tutorial class is not a bad idea as well, right? Yeah. Um, I know my buddy Adam Hugel, who was on the podcast a few times yeah. uh, from day one and stuff, uh, very first episode, he said the same thing. He said, I try to learn one new thing every week for a new video, you know, so I can try to incorporate one new skill. And and his videos were great. Like they, they and they did get better and better. And like, you know, that's as his abilities grew. Yeah, yeah. He has so many great videos and I completely agree. It's like you'll slowly see that you're you'll get better and your thing and your style will change and um but just getting it done is the most important yeah. thing. And maybe not even your style changes as you find your style. Like, you find your style yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think at the first at the start everybody's kind of the same. It's like every video out there and slowly you kind of find your way. Yeah. Uh, as you develop your own skills. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy them and keep up the good work. One last thing I want to talk about, your role within the bike industry as a female or as a woman. How has that been portrayed? Like, how how is the response to that? I think it's growing in Toronto more than I think in Ottawa. It's maybe slower here. But all the Toronto bike shops I've been around or follow online, they, they seem to have some women now working in there. And uh, I think it's great. Probably not equal uh, numbers-wise, <laughs> but what are your thoughts? How's, how's it been? Um, yeah, I love to see it. It can definitely be a space that is intimidating at times, not just because, uh, I'm a woman, just because when I started in a bike shop, I feel like I knew nothing. Mm -hmm. I had done my first bike tour. I knew how to bike, but you know, I could barely tell bikes apart. I didn't know, um, much about tools or much about different components um, I feel that that's probably the same with everybody who starts in a bike shop, but maybe it's yeah. it's more intimidating as a female because you feel like everybody's judging you more. Maybe, yeah. I think I think I think a lot of it is internal and uh, just wanting to be good, wanting to know everything, and just uh, you know constantly feeling like you don't know enough. Yeah. Fortunately, I work with uh, some really wonderful people. There's myself and another uh, woman working in oh, the nice. shop I'm in. And so that's been really wonderful. And I've learned so much. Yeah, so I, I think it's really cool. I think that, you know, I talk to customers really regularly that will actively say, they're like, oh, it's really cool to see a woman here. Um, so I think more and more that we can shift, um, that would be really nice. Yeah, that's um, interesting because I've never gone out and like actually said it because... I feel at the same time, like, oh, maybe I'm drawing attention to something that shouldn't have attention drawn to it. You and know, it should be a normal thing. Well. Um, yeah, so I've, yeah, I've never yeah. gone out and said it, but maybe by saying, hey, good on you or whatever, then I'm also showing appreciation and maybe they're happy about that. You know, who knows? No, I know. <laughs> and I, I completely understand both ways. Yeah, I think it, it completely makes sense. It's often other women that are saying it, okay. um, yeah. you know, because they've probably been into a lot of bike shops where they haven't seen women in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's really wonderful. You know, the more people that we can get confident with bikes, yeah. the better. Have you had any issues where, you know, people don't want to deal with you because of your womanness and they're like hey, this is a man's industry and I want to talk to a guy or like has there been any issues like that I mean you know it's hard to say um I know between myself and uh my female colleague we have had the occasional um very clear comment that mm-hmm. they're they're not pleased that we're helping them sometimes you can feel like it's a little more subtle but on the vast majority, uh, you know, it's people uh, communicating with you the same way they would anyone mm-hmm. in the shop. I would say, you know, mostly my role has been uh, in sales 
and and more and more I'm learning about the mechanics and I would love to keep seeing more and more women in mechanic spaces and service spaces and getting confident with their bikes. One place I know does, um, it's like a charity that helps people fix up their bikes. Yeah, we have a couple um, of those called, around. Yeah, uh, there's one in Toronto called Bike Sauce and they're starting to have uh, women and queer timeframes. Um, so anyone who um, identifies as a woman or non-binary or a person of color, that yep. uh, anyone that feels uh, like they aren't as represented in that space can come and just have a... a oh, that's really cool. A space to get involved mm. where they can, you know, feel uh, safe and, and included. Yeah. And, and included. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's um, it's growing, right? And I think North America is definitely one of the the fastest growing areas where you'll see this inclusion and involvement of women in in the traditional sport of biking which is definitely underrepresented uh, underrepresented it's just amazing that to see this growth and how things mm-hmm. are changing uh, for the better yeah. you know yeah yeah for sure and i get excited too to see more and women more and more uh women and people of color uh even on instagram on youtube like making Content, uh, yeah. videos and content um, yeah. about cycling, you know, it was really a predominantly um, white male space in terms of what was mm-hmm. out there. And so it's exciting to just see more and more um, people getting excited about being on bikes. Well, thank you for your contribution to the bike industry and uh, for being you. on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Is there anything I've missed that you want to chat about? No, this has been no. such a pleasure. Awesome. Where can yeah. people find you? I will add links. Um, Awesome. Yeah. I'm at uh, youtube.com slash Sheila Daly. That's my funky spelling. S-H-E-E-L-A-G-H and then last name D-A-L-Y. Um, I'm uh, Sheila.Daly on Instagram. And I think that's most places I am. Oh, I have a website, SheilaDaily.com. Okay, cool. I will add links and um, we'll be in touch. We'll talk some more soon. Uh, awesome. You don't have to hang up. I will end the recording, but thanks for being okay. on the show. And all right everyone that is the end of this episode i hope you guys enjoyed it i hope you had some good takeaways i know for me i definitely put a lot of effort after our talk into um, thinking more about nutrition and how i can improve upon it because i think that's one of the areas where i really struggle with and one of the constants i hear or see when i'm looking through instagram and people who are racing events or or just going for a real hard push is about bonking or being dehydrated, getting headaches, the shivers, the sweats, the even the dryness where you're you're stop sweating because you're just too dehydrated. So take a listen and uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Learn some tricks and tips and uh, keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketouradventures.com or go to the website biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash biketouradventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show. 
buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.